This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, verse 11. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. You know, often, if you are watching through a show or a series, they begin each episode with a recap, catching you up, reminding you, reminding you of what happened so far in the series. And our text today, in the middle of Acts chapter 3, is dropping us right in the middle of a story. So before we read it, I want to do a brief recap uh, because already a lot has happened in the book of Acts. You may remember it begins, Luke's account begins with Jesus making this promise to his disciples that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them to be his witnesses. And, and he says this is going to begin in Jerusalem and it's going to spread from there and it's going to go to the end of the earth. And we find them waiting in Jerusalem and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends and fills them, causes quite a scene. And Peter uses that to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, 3,000 people are born again and the church is born. And we find them devoting themselves to the teaching and the meeting and fellowship and prayer. And he tells us every day people are being saved. And it's in that context when Peter and John are going to the temple to pray when they see a man lame from birth who is asking for alms. And Peter looks at him and says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man is miraculously and instantaneously healed. And he begins walking and leaping and praising God again, causing quite a scene. And the people see this happening and it raises a commotion and they're amazed and it's in that moment where our text begins this morning. Acts chapter 3 verse 11. This is God's word for us today. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, 
whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And I want to pause there. We're going to read the second half of our text later. Because I think our text today, we're in verses 11 through 26, is broken into two sections. The first section we just read where Peter uses this healing to proclaim the gospel and witness to the resurrection of Christ. And then the second half where he's going to call the people to respond to the gospel and make some pretty amazing promises to this crowd and to us today. And I think the main point that that the Lord wants us to grasp this morning is to be refreshed by the forgiveness found only in Christ. We're going to see that by the end. To be refreshed by the forgiveness found only in Christ. And I think the first section we just read can really be summarized by verse 15. Point one, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. That is a striking sentence from Peter. And I want to show how it applies to all of us as well this morning. So our text begins in verses 11 and 12 where we find this man who has been healed clinging to Peter and John. The crowd is surrounding them. They're not very different from us. Whenever there is a commotion or a crowd is forming, we all want to see what's going on. We all start getting out our phones and filming and trying to be a part of the action. It reminded me of a scene last year at a UT football game. It was before the game outside of the stadium and there was crowd everywhere. And there was a former UT football player that was making his way through the crowd. And everybody was squeezing in together and pushing in together. And everybody had their phones out and was filming him. And there was a guy standing right next to me with his phone out filming. And he was pushing in with the crowd. And he leaned over to me and he goes, who is it? Who who is it? I thought, what are you filming? You don't, why is your phone out? You don't even know who's here. He's just following the crowd. And that, that seems to be what's happening in the temple. I mean, they're just running together. He says, literally, they ran together. They're all coming from different sections of the temple. There is this commotion happening. And literally, hundreds and thousands of people are, are gathering in this one section. And Peter sees the opportunity and he preaches this sermon and we get to listen in this morning and he begins in verse 12 with when I read this to me honestly this this sounded like a dumb question when I heard this it made me feel really good in verse 12 his question is why do you wonder at this why are you staring at us if I was in the crowd I would have to say Hey, hey, Peter, uh, you know that guy clinging to you right now that's leaping and praising God? Yeah, he's never done that in 40 years. You know, I walk past him every single day, and now he's walking and leaping. This is somewhat surprising to us this morning. And yet Peter asked them, why, 
Why are you surprised? And his point is, what Peter is highlighting here is that Jesus has been doing this for years. I mean, he has been with them. Many of them have seen and heard the miracles that Jesus has done. Jesus is gone, but his work continues. He's telling them, don't be surprised. Maybe be surprised that Peter and John are there doing this. But why are you surprised by this? Why are you not, why do you lack faith? This is what Jesus has been doing and he's continuing to do his works. And it's so instructive what Peter does because he doesn't use this healing as an opportunity to exalt himself. He doesn't say, yeah, remember, you know, there's a reason Jesus called me the rock, okay? And now you're seeing why. He doesn't doesn't parade this man around showing them what's happened. He goes straight to God. He wants to draw their attention and their amazement. He wants them to lift their eyes. He wants them to know that God did this, that Jesus did this, that he is still at work. Look at verse 13. This, This is how he begins. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. Remember, this is in the temple. This is a Jewish audience. He wants them to know your God did this. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he glorified his servant, Jesus. He raised him from the dead. And in verse 16, it's in his name. Jesus did this. This man you see that was healed, that's been lame for 40 years. This is a work of the risen Lord. He is still at work among you. And what he's doing is he's connecting the dots for them. I don't know if you remember this, but when I was a kid, I used to love the, the, the connect a dot drawing. Remember the numbers it had? One, two, three, four, and you just draw these lines and then you show your parents like, look what I did. This is amazing. It's a bunny rabbit, you know? It's just, he's connecting the dots for them. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, Jesus Christ. It's all the work of God. Jesus is the fulfillment. Why are you staring at us like we did this by our power? This healing is a continued work of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He wants them to know Jesus did this. And yet, at the same time in verse 13, this is the same Jesus they delivered to Pilate. It's the same Jesus they denied. He's still at work. And he says this twice to them. Peter says twice in this sermon to them. He says twice, they denied Jesus. Listen, he's not trying to condemn them. This isn't some self-righteous, how could you statement from Peter. You know, Peter's not saying like, as if, you know, I would never deny Jesus. Because Peter did deny Jesus three times. He's not trying to shame them. 
He's trying to connect the dots for them. This same Jesus you denied, he healed this man. And he's trying to let them know this was God's plan all along. You delivered him. You denied him. But God's at work. And he tells them explicitly in verse 15, you killed the author of life. This is what John Stott calls a striking oxymoron. It's a striking oxymoron. Just think about it. You remember uh, an oxymoron is a seeming contradiction. Uh, like jumbo shrimp or civil war or only choice or virtual reality. It's an oxymoron to kill the author of life is a striking oxymoron. Because Jesus is the author of life. John 1, 2 through 4. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Everything created Every living thing, every person, every molecule, every atom, every tree, every creature in creation was created and sustained by Jesus Christ. And in him is life. The one who is the author of life is himself deprived of life. And God raises him back to life. That is the gospel in one sentence. I love how Peter preaches the gospel in one sentence in our text. I mean, it's not, we, we love the gospel. We want to proclaim the gospel. One power-packed sentence. He is the holy and righteous one. Peter mentions his sinless life. That he was without sin. He was holy. He was righteous. He never did any wrong. He never sinned. Peter mentions his sacrificial death. The author of life was killed. He was crucified. They were witnesses to this. And he mentions his glorious resurrection. God raised him from the dead. This is the unchanging message of the gospel. And it's the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes it. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our desire, you've heard it this morning. Our desire is that every person here would know and treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is of first importance. It is the main thing. It's what we want our youth to know. We want them to capture it and believe it and trust it and live by it and love Jesus Christ. This is what we're teaching in children's ministry as we unfold the word of God, the story of the Bible, as they hear about God being the creator and sin and they hear the prophecies telling them one is coming and they hear the story of Christ coming as a fulfillment of God's word. This is what we proclaim on the YouTube campus through volunteers for Christ. This is the message I heard my freshman year when God transformed my life. This is what we proclaim each and every Sunday. It is the gospel of Christ and it is the power of God for salvation. 
It is a first importance, and it's right where Peter goes. The gospel, the good news. And listen, when we read this text, and when he says in verse 15, you killed the author of life. You have to know that applies to us as well. You can't read this text and look at them and say, look what you did. How could you do this? How dare you? How dare you deny him? How dare you deliver him over to Pilate? Listen, we are all to blame for the death of Jesus Christ. We may not have been there when Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was tried and crucified, but it was our sin that took him there. We killed the author of life. John Newton, the former slave ship captain who was radically born again. He wrote the song, Amazing Grace, He got this. He understood. I mean, for the rest of his life, he carried an understanding that it was his sin that put Jesus on that cross. And he wrote another hymn called, An Evil Long I Took Delight. Maybe maybe a request for the worship team to sing this sometime, another John Newton hymn. Listen to the words of this hymn he wrote. He got this. He says, I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never to my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayst live. Thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, Such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit now is filled, that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. That's the mystery of grace. That I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. I killed. That's the message Peter is telling them. That's the message he's preaching to us this morning. We killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And in our second half of our text, Peter makes some pretty amazing promises to the ones who killed the author of life. Point number two, repent that times of refreshing may come. Repent, that times of refreshing may come. Look at verse 17. We're going to read down from 17 to verse 26. He continues in his sermon to them, verse 17. And now, brothers, 
I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From your brothers you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. He knows, in verse 17, he knows that they acted in ignorance. The word that he uses here is from where, it's where we get the word agnostic. It means without knowledge. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know that he was the Messiah. And his point is, now they know. Now God has made it clear through the resurrection. This is the Messiah. That's the point. He rose from the dead. He healed this crippled man who is standing there as Peter preaches this sermon. He's continuing to work and act. They can no longer claim ignorance. They can't say they're agnostic or without knowledge about Jesus. And neither can we. Because although... They didn't know what they were doing. God knew what he was doing. They acted in ignorance and delivering him over, but God did not. It was God's plan all along. That's Peter's point in verse 18. Look down at verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. God had been telling his people, through the prophets for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Christ would suffer. Just read Isaiah 53. I mean, it's written 700 years before the crucifixion, and it's just an accurate depiction of what Christ did on the cross. The cross wasn't plan B. It was the plan all along. And here is the amazing truth of Peter's sermon. God's mercy for them and for us this morning, though they killed the author of life, they delivered him to Pilate, they denied him, they can still be forgiven of their sins. They can still be his disciples. There's still time. They can still get in on this. What amazing grace, amazing mercy. Look at verse 19 and 20. 
Repent, therefore. Turn again that your sins might be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. They still have time. They can still get in on this. And how do we do that? How do we respond to the good news of the gospel of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? How do we get in on this? How do we become a disciple of Jesus Christ? He tells them, verse 19, repent and turn again to God. We repent. To repent means to turn. It means to change one's mind, to, to turn the direction that we are going. He's calling them to turn, to follow Christ, to stop denying Jesus and to worship Jesus, to stop uh, living in their sin and to be set free by what Jesus did through his sacrificial death on the cross. And listen, repentance, it's not an optional add-on to the Christian life. It is crucial and necessary. It's how we respond to the gospel. And there is a false teaching out there right now in Christianity that says God doesn't require repentance. That is a false teaching. And I've heard this message said in many different ways. And, and, and it's, it's subtle, and so you have to be discerning because it sounds loving and it sounds like grace when it's really not. And they say things which are partially true, things like God accepts us as we are. God wants us to be our authentic selves. God just wants us to be happy. And there is some truth in that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't wait for us to fix ourselves before he saves us. He doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. But it's also an incomplete message. Because while God doesn't wait for us to stop sinning to save us, he also doesn't save us to leave us in our sin. He invites us to come as we are, but he doesn't leave us there. He transforms us. He changes us. He sets us free. He makes us new creations in Jesus Christ. He sets us free from the power and the domain of sin so we're no, no longer slaves to sin. He changes us, and he does that by calling us to repent. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so he calls them, repent, Turn, be transformed, be set free. Like the prophetic word we heard this morning. The, the, the cell is open. The door has already been opened by Christ. Walk out. You can be free. And he holds out these promises for them. Three promises of repentance. I want us to see the good of repentance. It's a mercy. He holds out three promises with repentance. In verse 19, he says, Repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. When we repent, our sins are blotted out. That means, that means they're washed away. They are erased. They are obliterated. 
And the, the saying, you'll find it in Isaiah, uh, you'll find it here in our text. It's because in ancient times, the picture is that they had this ancient writing on papyrus. And they used an ink that didn't have any acid in it, like ours today. And so when we use ink, it soaks into the paper. Their ink didn't do that. It would lay on top of the paper. And so to, to erase it, they would take a wet sponge and they would just wipe it away and it would be gone. That's the, that's the picture Peter is using for them. It was the original delete button. You know, they would, they would just erase it. And he says, your, your sins can be washed away. They can be erased. And I don't know what you're picturing. If you're picturing just one page where God wipes it away, the truth is it's just page after page after page. And all of them washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what God does to our sins. He erases them. He washes them off the record. And just, just pause and think about what Peter is saying here to these people in our text. These are the same people who are standing there yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, let him be crucified. He tells them, you asked for a murderer to be released and you yelled for Jesus to be crucified. These are the same ones who lined the road as Jesus carried his cross, broken and beaten and bloodied as they stood there and watched. These are the same ones who mocked him, saying he said he can save others. He can't even save himself. Come down from the cross and then we may believe in you. They mocked him and denied him and forsook him. And Jesus, Peter makes this promise, your sins can be washed away. Just imagine the guilt and the shame they felt when they realized they were wrong about him. They were wrong. And imagine hearing this promise. Repent. And your sins can be washed away forever. Gone. What amazing mercy. I'm thinking if God has mercy for them, I think there's no one in this room beyond the mercy of God. There's no one here this morning who cannot be forgiven of your sins. If you repent and you turn and you trust in Christ, your sins can be washed away. You can have a clean record with the Lord this morning. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. There is a promise here. Repent, turn, turn away from them. Confess them to the Lord. Turn, repent, and you will be forgiven. And it doesn't end there. In verse 20, he tells them, you're, 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 your sins can be blotted away and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And I've got 
several quotes, just trying to capture. I mean, it, it, it's this time of refreshing. It's trying to capture this, this goodness of repentance, the, the fresh cleaning of being forgiven of our sins, you know, the, the wiped away, the filled with joy and, and fresh passion for the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, he says it like this, the 19th century pastor from London. He that repents and is converted shall enjoy the blotting out of sin in that season of sweet peace, which always follows pardon. When the prisoner first gets out of prison, when the fetters for the first time clank music as they fall broken to the ground, when the sick man leaves the sick chamber to breathe the air of liberty, to feel the health of a pardoned sinner, oh, if you did but know what a bliss it is to be forgiven, you would never stay away from Christ. I love that. That's, that's this refreshing presence of the Lord. Listen, does your soul need refreshing? Are you weary of feeling guilty and ashamed? It's the shame that follows sin. Sin just wears us out. It beats us down. It's discouraging. It's this daily battle. It saps us of our energy. Repentance reminds us it's all been paid for. You are forgiven. It gives us this fresh sense of sweet peace with the Lord. It reminds us our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103. It refreshes our souls. It revives our spirit. It fills us with joy. It makes us want to sing, Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed away all my sin. It gives us this refreshing presence with the Lord. Thomas Watson tries to capture this in his doctrine of repentance. He said, repentance is the inlet to spiritual blessings. It helps to enrich us with grace. It causes the desert to blossom as the rose. It makes the soul as the Egyptian fields after the overflowing of the Nile, flourishing and fruitful. Never do the flowers of grace grow more than after a shower of repentant tears. You can just hear Spurgeon. It's like the shackles are free. It's, it's the sick man getting fresh air. Thomas Watson, it's the Nile overflowing with water and it's fruitful and it's flourishing. This is the grace that comes through repentance. They're all just looking for illustrations of spiritual health and life and growth. It's the flowers overflowing the pot going everywhere. Whatever your picture is, that's what repentance brings to us. And this is what advertisers are trying to sell us. I mean, I was just watching this week and just thinking about this and, and they're trying to sell us peace and refreshment. You know, it's, it's the Corona commercial where you find your beach. And it's this serene moment where the waves are going out and in. And you're just sitting there on the beach. And of course, you have a Corona in your hand, you know. It's the Coca-Cola commercial with the little, bubble, little, little bubbles popping up. And the sound trying to tell you this is refreshing, you know. These refreshing bubbles. It's the Jeep commercial trying to say, you know, our Jeep can take you to a place no one else can go. And that's where you can finally relax. You know, no commercial is going to tell you. 
Do you want to be refreshed in your soul? Here's the path to get there. Repent. Turn again to God. That is where peace is found. That is refreshment for our souls. That is where mercy is found. Let me ask you, have you repented? When's the last time you were repentant to the Lord? It's a daily thing as we preach the gospel to ourselves. It's refreshing. He's telling them, turn again. Turn to the Lord. Come back to him. Be refreshed in your souls. Sins blotted out. Times of refreshing. And a third promise Peter makes. Or we're going to finish this morning. Verse 20. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And you might think, now wait a minute. Didn't he already send him? Isn't that who they killed? Yes, but he's coming again. That's his point. Remember, Acts begins with Jesus ascending up into the heavens. And the angel tells them, this Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven where he is today, right now. And he's coming back again for a second time. And that's what he says in verse 21. Heaven must receive him until the time when he returns and he restores all things. He's coming back again. And when he does, he's going to restore all things. You see this crippled man next to me? This is just a taste. It's just a sample. It's a little taste of what Jesus is going to do when he comes back again. And here's the point he's telling them. Repent because you missed it the first time. Don't miss it the second time. Now is the time. Now is the day. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You denied him. You turned against him. He rose again. He's ascended to be with the Father. He's coming back. Get in on this now. Now is the day of salvation, he's telling them. And he quotes Deuteronomy where Moses says, every soul that doesn't listen to that prophet shall be destroyed. He's telling them, it's not too late. You missed it once, don't miss it again. He's coming back and Moses told us, you know Moses, he said there's gonna be one coming after me. Listen to him. Do what he says. Follow him. Jesus is that one. Remember, He told Samuel, verse 24, all the prophets after him, they all said, this is the one to look for, the one born of a virgin, the one born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 53, the one who would suffer for our sins. This is him. Jesus is the one. Remember Genesis, the promise to Abraham that through one of his descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is him. This is the descendant. This is the one to bless us. Verse 26. He came to bless us. And it begins with them. Jesus said it begins in Jerusalem. This is it. It's beginning. 3,000 have been saved. Now they're running. Thousands are in the temple running. And he's telling them, you first. But after this, it's going out. 
It's going to the Gentiles. It's going around into Asia. It's going into Europe. It's going to the ends of the earth. Now is the day of salvation. Don't miss this. Get in on it now. Now, these are the days. These are the days the prophets longed for when God's spirit would fill us when he would take out our heart of stone, when the spirit would dwell inside of us. These are the days. This is the time. Jesus is the one God promised to send. We killed the author of life, but it was God's plan all along to forgive us of our sins. Repent, therefore. Turn again to the Lord that your sins may be blotted out Times of refreshing may come. And when this Jesus comes back, we're going to be ready. We're going to be waiting. We're excited for that day. Amen? Let's pray. Father, what amazing mercy that we who killed the author of life can be forgiven of our sins. And so I pray for every person here this morning, Lord, by your Spirit. Pray for those who came in this morning discouraged and feeling guilty and ashamed for their sin. I pray they would see the one who hung on the cross for them and they would be refreshed. That they would walk out these days this morning filled with joy that they would be leaping and walking and praising the Lord for forgiving them of their sins. Encourage us this morning, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.